Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. I am your host, Ethan Castle. Great to be back on the air with you again. This time of year brings out a lot of emotions. Some people love the holiday season. Some people hate it, whether it's because they dread family stuff or they just hate Christmas music, which is totally justifiable, or they don't like the sun being out so little. There are a lot of reasons to love or hate this time of year. I used to really not like this time of year, but over time I've grown to enjoy it because this time of year means we're really getting into the start of basketball season. This really is the changing of the seasons where we say goodbye to high school football, hello to high school basketball, and I'm going to really make that transition this week as I head up to Gridley for what has quickly become one of my favorite traditions, the Gridley Invitational. Talk more about that in a bit. Basically, what I'm going to do this episode is kind of celebrate the changing of the guard, the changing of the seasons, recap the NorCal regional football games, including the two that I attended, give you a bit more in-depth analysis of those than you'll get of the rest, and then talk about where we are in the world of basketball, because we're getting started. And while a lot of media outlets are still understandably focused on football with playoffs and state championship games and the transfer portal and recruiting and this and that, I also want to be able to give you guys a bit of a primer on what's ahead with basketball, what sort of storylines we've already come to embrace what you should be on the lookout for. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So to get things started, we're just going to run through the football regional championship games from the smallest division up to the biggest, starting down in Division 7A, where Strathmore, right near Porterville, defeated Lincoln of San Francisco 41-15. to Unfortunately, that means it was the final high school game for two three-year stalwarts at Lincoln in running back, defensive back, Jamel Newman, and linebacker, fullback, Diego Cristerna. I really hope both of them go on to play in college. Newman in his final game, 20 carries, 178 yards, and both Mustang touchdowns. Cristerna, 11 tackles, including eight solo. One of my favorite players because he couldn't get through an interview without swearing multiple times. So Strathmore advances. They are one of the southernmost Northern California representatives, and they will face Bell Gardens in the 7A championship. Bell Gardens out of the southern section. They won Division 14, if that's any indication of how massive the southern section is. In Division 7 AA, it was a matchup that really nobody in the Bay Area talked about at all because it was, while it did involve an NCS team, they were from Humboldt County while the other representative came out of the northern section. You had Ferndale beating Portola 32-7, Portola being the only incorporated city in Plumas County. Quincy is also in Plumas County, but Portola is the only actual city. Anyway, Ferndale won 32-7 and will take on Fairfax, who had a bye straight to the championship. Division 6A, the Miracle Ride, came to an end for South San Francisco with a 42-6 loss to Calusa. 
as I've said, it can be really tough to gauge teams across different sections. You know, measuring teams across the NCS versus CCS is pretty doable, whether it's because you've had people that have seen both teams in person or you have enough of a database of common opponents. Same goes for NCS to SAC Joaquin. But the northern section, a lot of those teams are really isolated and mostly just play within the northern section. So without out-of-section games, it's really hard to gauge what level these teams should be playing at come the state playoffs. And that seemed to be the case here, where Calusa was vastly underseeded. They rolled to a 42-6 victory. Nonetheless, terrific year for South City. The program is back. The momentum is back. City support is back. Pack stands at their playoff games, both home and neutral site. Just a terrific story. And while a lot of the credit is going to go to head coach Kalone Pua and former head coach Frank Morrow, it's more than just those two. It's been the whole staff. It's been administrative support. And it's been the players themselves taking the initiative to get behind this program and get on board and take things seriously. And it's just, it's terrific to see. Calusa will face Sweetwater out of National City in San Diego County. Sweetwater defeated St. Monica in the Southern California Championship. St. Monica, unsurprisingly, is from Santa Monica. At one point, former Cal wide receiver Jeff MacArthur was on staff as the head coach at St. Monica. I believe he's now employed at St. John Bosco. MacArthur has battled cancer over the last couple years. I believe he is cancer-free right now. He is currently still employed at Bosco. In Division 6 AA, arguably the best of the NorCal championships, because almost all the good regional championships were on the southern side. St. Vincent DePaul beat Palo Alto 28-26. The Mustangs defeating a school a good 10 times larger than them. They won by intercepting a late two-point conversion. It should be noted, Palo Alto really struggled to run the ball and had to deal with playing a freshman QB in his first varsity game after starter Declan Packer was injured. That freshman, Justin Fung, did throw for three touchdowns. Heck of an effort, but two Gabe Casanovas rushing touchdowns and one by Mason Cataragli. Proved to be the difference in this one, St. Vincent wins and will take on Wasco out of Kern County. Wasco defeated Cerritos 7-6. Looking at the stats, I can tell you that Wasco is a very run-heavy team. The only other thing I can really tell you about Wasco is that that is a football town, and they will surely travel well to Pasadena City College for Friday afternoon. That is the 4 p.m. game there. Just a reminder, the three sites are El Camino College, Pasadena City College, and Saddleback College. Saddleback getting most of the higher games, the highest four divisions, plus three AA, so five of the six highest. The other thing I can tell you about Wasco, how I know it's a football town, is how seriously they take their rivalry with nearby Shafter. Lost that game 49-6 this year. Shafter had a heck of a team, finished the year 11-1, losing in a controversial central section semifinal. That was the game with the appeal following a two-point conversion for Torres, a school out of Madeira. You probably saw the video. It was the long snapper catching 
a pass on kind of an improvised two-point conversion after a bad snap. Anyway, the Shafter-Wasco rivalry is a big, big deal. Been going on for 90-plus years. There are tons of rallies in the week leading up to the game. Traditions of the schools, you know, painting each other's logos on their rivals' campuses or even burning an S or a W into the grass. There's even a bonfire that each school has, you know, whether it's, if you're Wasco, it's burn the general. If it's Shafter, it's burn the tiger. The sort of thing that people up here would get really up in arms about. You know, all sorts of pearl clutching about how it, you know, promotes violence or whatever. Division 5 in the central section, whereas Shafter was up in D4. Wasco versus St. Vincent de Paul is your state 6AA championship. In 5A was Woodland Christian beating Orland 28-0, so Sac Joaquin versus Northern. Woodland Christian will face Banning out of the L.A. City section. Banning beat La Jolla Country Day down south. 5AA, Miramonte defeated by Pleasant Valley, 31-12. Pleasant Valley out of Chico will take on Ramona from Riverside. Division 4A, the first ever Monterey County representative in a state championship game. Palma goes on the road on Saturday, defeats Houston, 31-21. They will take on Mission Oak out of Tulare at Pasadena City College, 3 p.m. on Saturday. Mission Oak defeating Little Rio Hondo Prep out of Arcadia, a school that has barely 100 kids but managed to win 13 games this year, including one over King's Academy. Division 4 AA, it'll be a breakthrough team from Santa Cruz County. Soquel, having beaten Casa Roble 42-14, they will face Jerupa Hills, or Harupa Hills, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, my apologies, out of Fontana, another Southern section team, 41-14, the Spartans winning their SoCal championship over Torres from Madeira. Again, SoCal beat Casa Roble. 42-14. They did not, however, pitch another second-half shutout, as has been their calling card for much of the year, actually giving up seven points in the third quarter. Nonetheless, Justice Growl-Tabong ran for three touchdowns. Jordan McCord caught one from sophomore QB Sam Whelan, and so Kel rolled before a pretty raucous crowd. In Division 3A, it was Marin Catholic holding off McClyman's 35-28, Got out to a two-score lead, and then it kind of bounced back and forth between 7 and 14 the rest of the way. Marin Catholic made a late-season QB switch to senior Peter McCauley, and it has clearly worked for the Wildcats. Also, Charles Williams, I don't have his official stats from this game, but he had a couple of long touchdowns. Plays where he reversed the whole field. He is a ridiculous athlete, and through football and AAU stuff, it seems like everyone in the Bay Area knows him. And he's one of the most well-liked of all of the super-talented athletes around Northern California. Marin Catholic will face Mayfair, who beat San Diego section representative Mount Miguel. Mayfair is in Lakewood, not far from Long Beach. Athletes that went to Mayfair include Justin Turner, Josh Childress, punter Cody, Josh Christopher, punter Corey Bajorquez, and rapper Vince Staples. That game will be the final game Saturday at El Camino College. In Division 3 AA, Akalanes all over Escalon 49 14. 
a game that included a Trevor Rogers pick six. Don's pulling away with a three-touchdown third quarter. They defeat a major sack Joaquin Power and advance. They will face Birmingham from the L.A. section. Birmingham beating Del Norte or Del Norte, not sure how you'd pronounce it. I've heard both in reference to different things. Out of San Diego on a 52-yard Hail Mary as time expired. Like I said, were the SoCal championships. Akalanis, I believe, actually had two pick sixes in their win. One from Rodgers, one from sophomore linebacker Deontay Littlejohn, who tipped a ball at the line to himself. Cool video from Cal High Sports of that one. Also, if you've heard background noise, once again, it's Grian. He's doing Grian things. I went to the Division 2A NorCal Championship on Saturday night. Was it the most exciting game? Not necessarily, but it certainly was close. Los Gatos winning 14-6 over El Cerrito. Los Gatos scoreless into halftime, really couldn't move the ball at all, but El Cerrito only scored on the opening drive. A key defensive holding call on fourth down, wiped out a sack, extended a Los Gatos drive. Two plays later, A.J. Minyard threw a touchdown to Jalen Thomas. In the fourth quarter, what would have been a big loss turned into a significant gain for Los Gatos, about a 25-yard difference because on what would have been a play losing about 10 yards, the El Cerrito defender suplexed the Los Gatos ball carrier. That was a pretty obvious personal foul. They scored right away. Now, I'm a big believer in going for two to go up two scores. They did not do that. That being said, El Cerrito had missed their extra point earlier. And you would have guessed if it was 13-6 to and El Cerrito drove down to score, they would probably have gone for two for the win. I still would have gone for it. I am the biggest believer in going for two to go up two scores. Remember, each trip down the field, a team can get a maximum of eight points. If you go up nine midway through the fourth quarter, especially in a game that's been a defensive stalemate, it's, it's basically game over. Anyway, Los Gatos didn't do that. They then made a decision that I certainly would not have made. Punting on fourth and four at the El Cerrito 33. Now, I totally get trusting your defense. The hope was to pin him deep. Instead, it was a shanked punt. Basically, the only thing Jalen Thomas has done wrong in the last few weeks. And El Cerrito started at the 28. It wasn't even as effective as a touchback. And the Gauchos got across midfield, got a couple first downs, and then started taking shots for the end zone once they got to about the Los Gatos 40. Three straight incompletions, and then on fourth down, a Nate Goldsbury interception with about 10 seconds left to seal it. LG wins 14-6. This team where, you know, for a lot of the time, it was just, hey, let's get one playoff win and see what we can do. You know, let's get this monkey off our backs. Whatever happens in the playoffs happens. Now they'll be playing for a state title in a high division, and they will be taking on Central Valley Christian out of Visalia, who put the hurt on Simi Valley, 55-38. Central Valley Christian, the alma mater of Stephen Vogt. In Division 2 AA, Grant all over Rockland on the road, 41-14. Two Sacramento powers. Grant will take on Lacerna out of Whittier after Lucerna beat Orange Vista from Riverside County 49-32. to 
Division 1A, Folsom holds off Pittsburgh 28-25. Mitch Stevens and Darren Sabedra were both there. I was not there as I was at the Los Gatos game, but apparently there was some controversy over a couple of calls. First, where did Pitt QB Marley Alcantara go out of bounds on a fourth down scramble? Was he short? Did he get it? I have looked at multiple angles through videos between the one Mitch recorded, the one that was on the NFHS network, and I cannot get a good read. I cannot tell you if he was in bounds or not at the time he got to the first down marker. I also, despite consulting multiple angles, can't tell you if the game-sealing touchdown by Folsom QB Ryder Lyons, if he got across the plane before losing the ball, because one ref signaled touchdown, another threw the blue beanbag indicating fumble, they conferred, decided it was a touchdown. Lyons, a sophomore QB who I was more impressed with his mobility than anything when I saw him because he was mostly running for his life against Sarah. He's had a heck of a year and was offered by USC following the game. Lincoln Riley was there to see him, and I assume a few other talents. Hopefully looking at some talents on the defensive side of the ball, considering what USC's done. Or, well, maybe not hopefully, since I wouldn't exactly call myself a USC fan, but I would presume, since he seems like an intelligent guy, he would have been looking at talents on the defensive side of the ball, whether that be... Makari Kenyon, Jaden Hudson, Bobby Shaw III, or the numerous Folsom talents, including but not limited to Abram Woodson, Damian Rivera, Elijah Golwich. There was a lot of talent on the field in this game. Some controversy there as it was just before the Seraphs. No, St. Bonaventure is not the Bonnies like the college team. Right before they scored their go-ahead touchdown, they spiked the ball to stop the clock, and a St. Augustine defensive lineman made a heads-up play to basically dive between the center's legs and try to intercept the spike. And I think he might have got it before it hit the ground. I'm not sure. Looking at the videos, it looked like he might have gotten it. But that's one of those things that the White Hat's got to be looking for, and no other official is really going to be able to see based on position. But... Props to the St. Augustine player, whether he actually intercepted it or not, for just trying to make such a heads-up play. That's that's a very high level of football IQ that you don't usually see at the high school level. Friday night, I was at the Division One AA game between De La Salle and Clovis North. I thought De La Salle would win. Knowing that Clovis North is a pretty run-heavy team and how successful De La Salle is in stopping the run, but I was thinking, you know, 21 to 17, 24 to 17, not 41 to 0. If I had known that was coming, I would have just gone to watch basketball Friday. Spartans scored on the opening drive, really ran it down Clovis North's throats, led 26 to 0 before allowing a first down. Aunt Dean forced and recovered a fumble to set up a score. Derek Blanche, 146 yards, another great game for Chris Biller in his final game at Owen Owens Field. De La Salle will take on Mission Viejo, team they've met before. Mission Viejo beating Granite Hills 49-21. Granite Hills was the top San Diego team this year. Mission Viejo has star junior wide receiver Philip Bell, who transferred from Christian Brothers in Sacramento. Bell considered one of the top 100 players in the country for the junior class by 24-7 Sports. Offers include all four teams in the college football playoff. My final thoughts 
as we turn the page on this, wrap up NorCal football, I don't have a lot to preview for the state championships because I don't have much info on the Southern California teams other than reading off a list of famous alumni, honestly. But the thing that I noticed at both Friday and Saturday's games from De La Salle and Los Gatos was how much the kids on both these teams really enjoy being high school football players. While a good amount of these kids will be playing in college, there were a lot of coaches watching Jalen Thomas on Saturday night, which was great to see. These kids love being at school with their friends, playing football with their friends. And in this world of kids moving just to play high school football at a different school, it's really refreshing to see. Whether that be a kid like Biller at De La Salle, whose uncle is on the coaching staff, whose dad went to the school. Whether it's a kid like A.J. Minyard, the Los Gatos QB, who's known a bunch of his teammates since kindergarten, was crying on the field after the game. Not because they had lost, obviously. They had, they had won, but because he knew it was his last time playing at Helm Field. That sort of stuff. And it's nice that even in a rapidly changing world, these kids are able to appreciate and enjoy what they're doing. So like I said, I don't have much to give you in terms of previewing state championship games. Not like I have a lot of perspective on most of these SoCal teams. What I will answer real quick is a bit about the Open Division game. Because I've been asked about my thoughts on Sarah versus Modern Day. This is the best team Sarah's ever had. We know that. This senior class is incredible. We'll see how their current freshman class stacks up. I know it's been a highly touted group, but there weren't a bunch of freshmen playing varsity ball all year, whereas the current seniors, four of them played varsity football as freshmen. Danny New, Colin Tahitua, Jabari Mann, and Joseph Bay. I am sure that this Sarah team will be more adequately prepared for this game than any other. They will have had two weeks off to get ready. That said, they're going to have to make up a massive margin when you consider that they lost in 2021 by 37 and in 2022 by 45. It is no secret that they will be coming into this game as underdogs. That said, I think it is disrespectful to say, oh, modern day should be playing against Bishop Gorman instead. If I was to set a line for this game, I would put it somewhere around 24 or 25 points. My prediction is Modern Day wins by 21 to 28. I think Sarah will compete, will keep this game respectable. I don't think it'll be a running clock. That said, the margin to make up from last year's game to now is so massive. I just... I just don't think that can realistically be done unless they catch a whole lot of breaks, whether that be a bunch of tip balls or the Monstars sucking away all of Modern Day's talent. Once again, Modern Day is a regional all-star team from the second largest metro area in the country. It's just a different game. It's time to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about basketball finally. 
something that I really enjoy at the high school level. I've said to many people, basketball is my favorite sport at the high school level. High school football is great, but I love high school basketball. You guys know that if you're listening to this. We'll talk about some early season tournaments and showcases, results, including university taking down Reardon at the Crusader Classic. Spoiler alert. We'll be right back. If this is your first time listening to the Bay Preps Insider Podcast, welcome. I highly recommend that you subscribe, review the show, leave a rating, share it with anyone you think might be interested. All of this is important to help spread the word, get the circulation up, and get more people listening and talking about high school sports. Remember, this is a completely free publication and that your services, all you've got to do is click that subscribe button, make sure to listen to new episodes, and again, whether you're on Apple, Spotify, or some other platform, please rate, leave a review. It does mean that it shows up in more people's suggestions. There are a lot of very, very good basketball tournaments featuring a lot of very, very good teams, but what sets Gridley apart is that it's the only tournament, really, where you're going to have not just such talented teams, but the connections that are made with the players staying with host families. It's really a three-day event that brings the teams and players a lot closer together. Not just that you're playing against such good competition, but you're staying with host families, you're living on a farm, you get out of your regular grind of school and homework and finals and whatnot. There are stories of you know, great players that have come to the tournament in the past learning how to throw a lasso or ride a horse with their host families. And one of the best parts of this tournament is Friday morning when the whole school puts on a rally to welcome all the teams in. And then the teams kind of put on a show as well with a dunk contest, a three-point contest, and a lip-sync battle dance-off sort of deal. It's a lot of fun. You kind of get to see the goofy side of these teams, learn about them as people. And it's just part of this bonding experience that you're not going to get anywhere else. The other thing that I love is Friday night after the games when the coaches and host families meet up for drinks. And you've got coaches that have been coming to this tournament for so long. You know, they've gotten to know these host families really well. For example, some of the Salesian assistants were players in the tournament you know, now they're coaching. So they stayed with these host families and their ball boys and team managers from the tournament because the local elementary and middle school students get to help out. You know, they're fully grown adults now. And just seeing that connection, that's what makes Gridley different. I've already gotten to see some of the teams that'll be up there. I've already watched Reardon, SRV, Branson, But really looking forward to this. It's, again, a great collection of teams, an incredible tradition, a tournament that's really in its own category. But there are a whole lot of good tournaments and events this past week as well. And I want to start by highlighting the Bud Bresnahan Blue and Gold Classic at Jefferson, where I went for the first day of the tournament. It was a Wednesday, Friday, Saturday tournament this year, so a slightly different format than before. Teams not having to play three days in a row. The biggest takeaway I got out of the tournament was that Los Gatos, who went on to win the whole thing, looks really good. Like, not just a SCVAL De Anza contender, but perhaps even an open division team. 
it's been a couple years since the De Anza has sent a team into the Open Division. I think whoever wins that league, whether it be Palo Alto, Los Altos, Mountain View, Los Gatos, will be very capable of competing in the Open Division. Los Gatos was the CCS D1 runner-up last year. No SCVAL team has been in the Open Division since 2018, which is kind of hard to believe. That was the year that Palo Alto beat SI, became the first public school to win an Open Division quarterfinal. But even without their football players, including Scotty Brennan, Brent Brennan's son, six foot five lefty who can score from just about anywhere, I liked what Los Gatos showed, especially in forward Nolan. I'm not sure if it's Cook or Koch. I believe it's Cook. It's spelled K-O-C-H, so it could be either. I need to get the lowdown on that, get the correct info, but he's a league MVP candidate. 6'5", finishes around the rim very well. Strong, physical, good rebounder. Has a bit of range as well. Can shoot the mid-range jumpers from the free throw line. Can hit a couple of threes. However, it was Andre Scott Weicker who hit the Game-winning three-pointer in the final second in the championship game against host Jefferson. Los Gatos winning that one 52-49. Jefferson, an interesting team this year because they don't necessarily have a ton of scoring at the guard positions, but have a really strong center in Tassan Clark, who, as a sophomore, showed some potential. Can tell that between his sophomore and junior years, he's really improved. He's so much smoother with the ball. His shot selection is good. He's finishing well. He's composed. He's playing with more maturity. I really like what he's had to offer. Other takeaways from that tournament, South City was basically playing with two of its rotation players because everyone else was still playing football. And I love that head coach Isaiah Agafo was just fine with it. That's how it should be. You know, you want to support your multi-sport athletes in their other sports. And once they lost Wednesday's game, the team knew that, all right, we're going to get to play early on Saturday, and then we can all go support the football team. I went to the Crusader Classic on Thursday over at Reardon, where Sacred Heart Prep beat Granada by one, 62-61. Both teams missing late free throws, Granada missing a couple with a tenth of a second left that could have won them the game. Really good win for an SHP team that had to replace not just center Sam Norris from last year, but now his... Younger brother Matthew was out with, I believe, a knee injury, so they've had to get creative in the post, use their water polo guys much more. Tyler Hogan's been starting in the middle. The guard trio of Drew Wagner, J.P. Kerrigan, and T.J. O'Brien is really strong. I had O'Brien for 27-8-8 in that game. Granada welcoming in Lincoln transfer Cortevius Taylor, who was indeed cleared to play, can score from literally anywhere. Fun to watch him combined with Navon Long, the one real returning starter from last year's team. Other than that, though, it's not like the cupboard is bare at Granada. They were able to elevate a couple of guys from bench roles last year into starting roles this year. Guys that were really good role players, Marco Wild, Spencer Langowski, Lennon Lomba. So the Matadors are going to be just fine. The next night, Sacred Heart Prep lost by one to University. Once again, it was late free throws. This time, though, University made them. Call was made where University guard Cole Boak, the eventual tournament MVP, drew a foul. Depending on your perspective, you either think it was a good call or that he kind of sold it or embellished a little. 
looking at the video, there was contact there. And I thought Boak then made sure to let the ref know that there was contact. Was there enough that the foul would have been called without that? I'm not sure. But he made both free throws, and for the second straight year, University wins a nail-biter over SHP. Last year, they beat him 57-55, to this time 56-55. Then, of course, University went on to beat Reardon in the championship game. I checked in on that one while I was at football, led by 16 with 6.45 to go. And it's just kind of puzzling that University, their 3-1 and record comes from Wins over Tam, SHP, and Reardon, but a loss to Archie Williams, where they seems like they just underestimated the Falcons. It's funny because SI went out and beat Archie Williams by 36 a couple days later at the Piedmont tournament. This university team doesn't have Joey Kennedy, who was a star in the post, four-year varsity player, three-year starter, now playing D3 ball down at Claremont McKenna. I truly believe... He could have, if he had really pushed for it, gotten himself onto a D1 roster. But being injured between his junior and senior years took out a lot of the summer for him. And he found a school that he was really content with, not just from a basketball standpoint, but from an academic one as well. It is fun to wonder, you know, what if he had gone to take, you know, say a post-grad year or something or taken the JUCO route. But they had to replace his production So they go with a bit of a smaller lineup, but it's still, you know, running Red Devil basketball, a lot of quick passing and cuts. They're going to shoot a lot of threes. They get shots up quickly. I had them for assists on 22 of 24 baskets in their quarterfinal win over Tam. And I will be seeing them again tonight against Sacred Heart Cathedral at the Devil Dome, 7 p.m. Last year's meeting was an all-time classic, University winning 84-83 in OT after a crazy game-tying shot by SHC guard Fed Purnell at the end of regulation. Speaking of Purnell, he and the Irish won Novato's tournament over the weekend, winning their first two games comfortably, then scratching out a tight one 55-50 over Albany in the championship. Believe Purnell was named tournament MVP there? I saw a Bit of the Chris Von Tour Classic at De La Salle on Friday. De La Salle rolled past Head Royce, advanced to the championship game where they beat Central Catholic of Portland by one. Central Catholic had posted a 20-point win over Sarah on Friday. Once again, remember that is not Central Catholic of Modesto. That is Central Catholic of Portland. They got some ties to De La Salle. They came a few years ago to the De La Salle MLK event. Six-foot-five guard Marley Zeller seems to be the guy to watch for that Central Catholic team if you get a chance to see him. He is committed to Pepperdine. Other weekend tournaments, Burlingame reached the championship of the Gary Brink Invitational at Westmont before falling to Cupertino, 46-38. Cupertino down in the El Camino division this year. I don't think they're going to be there for long. They've been a De Anza team more often than not. Craig Elgood, still the head coach there. They really run the clock, wear you down. They don't turn the ball over. Their game against Burlingame, the teams combined for nine turnovers. If you're only turning the ball over nine times as a team earlier in the year, that's great. They're committing half of that for a game. That is incredible. Also do want to congratulate Burlingame head coach David Lopez, who I believe is only 25 or 26 on his first two wins. 
Panthers beat Mountain View and then won an OT against Fremont of Sunnyvale to reach the championship before falling against Cupertino. Tournament that I did not get to this year that looked like a lot of fun was the Paul Spates Classic. Kings Academy hosts that one. The Knights falling to St. Francis from La Cañada near L.A. in the championship game. TKA beat Carlmont by three in the semis. St. Francis beat Branham in overtime in the semis before beating TKA in the championship. Branham won a type one over Carlmont for third place, 68-65. to I had seen this Branham team a couple years ago when they were pretty sophomore heavy. Now that they're seniors, seems like expectations, morale, extremely high there. And this could be a team that becomes a serious contender to possibly win the Mount Hamilton division this year, which would be awfully fun because that's a program that really hasn't done a lot in terms of major boys basketball success in a while. Girls basketball has had some good runs. Obviously, football's done very well, back-to-back league titles. Volleyball's had a ton of success at the CCS and NorCal levels. We haven't heard much in terms of boys basketball, and that appears to be changing. Half Moon Bay went up to the Denny Lewis Invitational at Napa and crushed everyone, blowing out Kimball from Tracy, the host Napa Grizzlies, and Whitney from Rockland on the way to the title. Cougars are going to have to play small after Jaden Hutchins left for prolific prep, but looks like sophomore Gio Garduno Martin was named tournament MVP. Big performance from Gavin Glenn as well, who missed last season injured. I'll get my first glimpse of the Cougars on Wednesday at the Burlingame Lions Club Invitational. Probably also going to see them against Sarah and probably at least a few other times because they look like a serious player in the PAL Bay division. Also, really quick, wanted to mention, if you are looking at going to the Burlingame Lions Club Invitational this year, which is being played Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, don't forget, it is not at Burlingame. Hillsdale is hosting this year. Burlingame's gym is being completely redone. St. Ignatius finished in third at the Piedmont Tournament, which West Coast Preps co-sponsored this year. Redwood winning tight games over SI and Piedmont to win the championship. SI winning the third place game over Akalanes after Akalanes beat host Piedmont in the semis. Other results of note, Urban is 4-0, the Blues winning both games at the Island Classic in Alameda, a 35-32 rock fight over Mount Eden, and a much cleaner 59-37 win over Encinal. Tara Linda won the Redwood Christian Tournament, beating Lick Wilmerding 55-52 in the championship. Campolindo returned to the Russ Peterick Classic at Montgomery, reached the championship game by beating Montgomery in OT, but lost that championship to Monterey Trail, who pretty much just rolled past everybody. Their three tournament wins coming by 17, 35, and 22. They look to be a major player in the Sac Joaquin section this year and have really loaded up their schedule with non-league opponents such as Branson, a trip to Las Vegas. They're playing Edison of Stockton. They're playing Intercom. That's a team that comes section tournament and state tournament time will certainly be one to watch for. Santa Cruz won the Santa Cruz Dads Club Tournament, beating Monterey in the championship by 20. Monterey just getting their football guys into the swing of things, but this should be a really strong Santa Cruz team. 
They made the CCS Open Division last year, and I get the feeling they'll be in the conversation there again. It's very early, but if I had to pick teams to be in the CCS Open conversation right now, aside from the WCAL, I think you would have to go with whoever wins the De Anza, whoever wins the PAL Bay, whether that's MA, Half Moon Bay, or another challenger, Santa Cruz, potentially Monterey, possibly Branham, and Sacred Heart Prep. SHP definitely in the open mix. I think you could already all but lock them up for open considering the win over Granada. A lot of things would have to unravel for SHP to not be playing in the open division. Looking at some of the teams out of the EBAL, a league that I like to focus on, San Ramon Valley ahead of Gridley. They've got a huge game tonight at Redwood. They had a nice weekend winning both games up at the Sheldon Proving Grounds, beating Sarah of Gardena 90-71 and Folsom 74-62. Monta Vista went up to West Park in Sacramento, new school there, won that tournament. Blew out River Valley in the first game and then won tight ones over Del Oro and the host West Park Panthers. West Park technically in Roseville, not Sacramento, my bad. You know I like to be pedantic with things like that. Miramonte won a big non-league game over Cal, 66-64 over the weekend. Amador Valley beat Heritage on Monday night, 62-51. The biggest story out of that game was that Brothers Kaysen and Cade Kruger, who transferred from Monta Vista, did play in that game, looking at some of the footage through NFHS, so that would mean that they are officially cleared after transferring. The NorCal Ultimate Challenge was played over the weekend at Chabot College. A few results out of that certainly stood out. Mountain House beat Athenian in the first game. I wish I could tell you more about either of those teams. I really don't have much. Clayton Valley picked up a nice win over Lincoln of Stockton. Looking forward to seeing a lot of the Ugly Eagles this week up at Gridley. I think the most surprising result of the day has to be Oakland Tech beating Bishop O'Dowd, 78-69. This is a young Oakland Tech team. They were very senior heavy last year. But our Darius Grayson had another monster game. He was named player of the game. They're still waiting for junior center Zan Meyer-Pletner to get healthy. He's 6'7", and... Everyone I've talked with said he took some massive leaps over the summer. I'm looking forward to seeing him on the court soon for an Oakland Tech team that, if you thought they were going to take a step back this year, think again. These guys are going to be pretty solid. Their game against Alameda on the 12th, a week from today, should be a good one. A lot of good games that night, though, including SI at Sacred Heart Prep, Branson at Redwood. Almost likely be at that SI-SHP game, but that is one I will certainly be keeping an eye on. Moreau Catholic was the host of this event, even though they played it at Chabot instead of on campus. Laguna Creek from Sacramento, led by Jalen Flannery, beat the Mariners 61-54. to I remember a couple years ago when Flannery was a sophomore at Cosumnes Oaks, really liked his game. Nobody for Moreau scoring more than 10 points, which is, I think, a testament to Laguna Creek's defense. Anytime... You're not allowing an individual scorer over, I'd say, somewhere between 12 to 15. You're doing a heck of a job. If you're only allowing one guy to even reach 10, then you're really doing a good job. After that, it was Branson holding off Vanden, 54 to 52. Vanden much better with a full roster available. Remember, they had the ejections and subsequent suspensions a week ago. While this is a bit of a younger Vanden team... They're going to be major players. Look for them 
as the year goes on, playing in major tournaments. They've got a trip to Clovis North during league play as a Saturday game. As always, they are expected to be a major Sac Joaquin and state contender. One of the best, if not the best, in D3 in that Sac Joaquin section. The final game of the night was Mitty falling to Salesian 53-41. Salesian, once again, I say it every year, they have some of the best defense in all of Northern California. Aaron Clater is a really solid player committed to Hawaii. This is a team that, while they have a bunch of good players, doesn't have that one, like, must-see mixtape name or anything, but what they do have are a whole lot of guys that are going to play either at the D2 or D1 level, whether they make it to the Big West or Big Sky or WAC, or maybe get an offer from somewhere across the country. And my favorite thing about them, and I say this every year, they have the quickest hands of any team I've ever seen. Like, yes, they're super physical, as are most teams that play really good defense. But the quickness of their hands, their ability to get into any passing lane that looks open, that stands out to me. That is what sets them apart from just about any other defense. You think you have a lane there, and someone's able to get a deflection or steal, and they score in transition the other way. And that is why they enter Gridley as the number one seed and will take on host Gridley on Thursday night. As I've said, Gridley is kind of like the Chaminade of the tournament. If you were to try to make a ranking right now, and again, I am not a fan of doing rankings this early or preseason rankings, but your top two would just about have to be Salesian and De La Salle. I do also want to give some credit real quick. One game that I had meant to discuss but did not get to yet. Doherty Valley, a really solid Friday night, 65-47 win over Los Lomas. A 23-3 second quarter, the difference there. Doherty still without two starters with Adi Malali injured and Azan Evans sitting out a transfer period. Los Lomas, a team that can put up 80 or 90 points pretty effortlessly. They've got a lot of length. They've got a lot of shooters. And Doherty held them to three points in a quarter, which is, frankly, insane. As I've said, after watching Doherty Valley at the O'Dowd Thanksgiving Showcase, they're not going to be putting up 80 points in games like they did last year, but they can win with defense. Before they had prolific scorers like Robbie and Ryan Beasley, that's always how they were beating teams. They would lock you down defensively. Mike Hansen is a terrific defensive coach. And this team's going to be just fine. They will be playing in the Chris Huber Classic this week over at Akalanis. Montevista's in that tournament as well. Doherty's playing St. Joseph Notre Dame first round. Montevista's playing Piedmont. Other tournaments to keep an eye on this week, the Rob Varus Memorial over at Washington and Fremont. Dublin and Amador Valley are both in that one. Already mentioned the Burlingame Lions Club Invitational. You've also got the Lowell Cardinal Classic, which includes the likes of Lick Wilmerding, Aragon, El Camino, Obviously, Lowell is the host. Menlo Atherton's playing in the Roy Gagari Invitational out at Freedom in Oakley. Both Mitty and Bellarmine will be in the Father Barry Classic at Jesuit, routinely one of the best tournaments in all of Northern California. Mitty opens with Loyola of LA. Bellarmine opening with Brophy Prep from Phoenix. Straight Jesuit from Houston also making the visit this year. De La Salle has gone to that one routinely, but will not this year. They are hosting their own Christian Brothers Classic, a little four-team event 
They will face St. Mary's Berkeley in the first round. The other matchup between Sacred Heart Cathedral and Justin Siena. So that is a little four-team Friday-Saturday event. Also this week, looking ahead to the No BS Classic between St. Ignatius and University. University head coach Randy Besselow and SI coach Jason Greenfield, really good friends, and they made a trophy for the game after basically the loser of the game and made excuses. Oh, this guy's injured, that guy's injured. So they made a trophy for it. It's the No BS Trophy. It's a trophy of a bull. And that will be decided on Saturday at university. Again, as I've said, this time of year can bring out a lot of different emotions depending on your perspective, but I love this time of the season because basketball is really heating up. My one regret is that we haven't had too many good Monday games. It's weird being at home on both Sunday and Monday and actually, like, watching Monday night football. But in the coming weeks, I'll be at a ton of games, be podcasting much more regularly, getting back to a more normal schedule with the show here, and really happy to have so many people listening and taking interest. If you have anyone you think I should have on as a guest, please let me know. If you have any questions, feedback, commentary, be sure to send it my way, whether through a Twitter message or send me an email. That's just ethancastle at gmail.com. I hope you're all having a great day. I hope you're fully embracing the start of basketball season and not just waiting for league games to pay attention because the games at this time of the year are the ones that determine strength of leagues, set up the picture for seeding in the section and state tournaments. League games and rivalry games are great, but a lot of the narratives of the season, a lot of the stories, a lot of who to watch for gets determined through these games. I think already we've seen, you know, that we've got an SRV team that can put up a ton of points, has tremendous balance. We've got Salesian playing incredible defense. De La Salle, the breakout of star sophomore Ibrahim Monawar. The Spartans locking teams down defensively, but they can score too. That game against Head Royce, they were off in transition again and again. Alec Blair had, I think it was four dunks. So there's so much developing. I think this is going to be a great year of basketball where, yeah, there are a couple of standout above and beyond teams, but I think there's a lot of parity, a lot of talent out there, and it's going to be a lot of fun to discuss as the year goes on. I look forward to talking with you again in the very near future. So don't forget to subscribe if you haven't. Turn on notifications. If you have anyone that you think might be interested in this show, whether I talked about them or their kid or a student, you know, whether you're an educator, a coach, a parent, a fan, a player, I really appreciate you tuning in. Please keep doing so. Please hit me up, whether digitally or in person, if you've been listening. And I look forward to speaking with you again really soon. Once again, this has been the Bay Preps Insider Podcast. I am Ethan Castle. And it's just a couple days until Gridley. I can't wait.